Good morning, once again. It's lovely to be here and it's a privilege to, to have the opportunity to open the scriptures with, with all of you. It's an interesting time this time of Christmas, isn't it? It's an interesting time where, where there's so many pressures, where everyone's running around, where everyone's crazy busy. And it's been interesting being back here in Australia and, and just in the last few days, um, we've been to the shops and we've seen that there's multitudes of people around and, and everyone's looking for the bigger, the better, the greater, the more expensive. Everyone's buying things and there's, there's lines, as, as people said, that it's difficult to get a car spot, isn't it? And sometimes we see that Christmas is all about the gifts, all about what we can get. And we're going to do a little bit of a study this morning and see how Christmas is about gifts, but maybe not in the way that we've seen, maybe not in the way that the that world imagines. Christmas is about a bigger gift, a gift of Jesus, a gift that's eternal, a gift that came into our existence, a gift that gives us eternal life. And sometimes we can lose sight of, of that gift because of all the noise, all the busyness that's around us. And the consumerist society is very clever in pulling us in saying you've got to have this. This is the way things are. This is the way things have to be. And gifts are a good thing. Gifts in some way reflect the generous heart of God. But Christmas isn't all about the material. Christmas is about Jesus. And we need to look back in the word of God and see the giver of all gifts. We need to return to a manger in Bethlehem and we need to get back to Jesus. I ask for this this portion in Matthew 1 to be read as we start to to get back into this first century view of of who Jesus was and and how this this whole event played out. And and that's something that I want us to to imagine this morning and to to go back and look through a a biblical worldview and see what would it have been like? What, What were the smells, the tastes? the events, the excitement in the air and, and see these gifts that God gave in this time. So I'd just like to uh, start praying again just that God would open our eyes. He, he would give us that view of what he wants to teach us this morning. Father God, thank you that you are a giver of good gifts. Thank you that you are a creator God and you are in control. Thank you that we can come this morning and, and we have the gift of your word your love letter to us. Thank you that, that in your word Jesus is revealed to us that we can see not just another idea or another concept but Jesus Christ, the word made flesh who came and dwelt among us. Lord, I pray that you might speak to our hearts this morning, that this might not just be another bit of information, Lord, but that your spirit might take your word and apply it to our lives so that we might be transformed, that we might know you better and that as we leave here that we would reflect more the character and priorities of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your word. In Jesus' name, Amen. The first Christmas. The first Christmas was very different to our Christmas celebration. It wasn't a relaxed gathering around a tree. Mum hadn't got the turkey ready or, or the barbie wasn't turned on. The first Christmas was packed with action though and events foretold long before they came about and designed by a sovereign God. 
to bring his only son into the world in an amazing way. God had planned this event. This wasn't just a last minute, oh, how do we do this? There's no room in the inn, what are we going to do? But God was planning this out with a real purpose and a real design for the arrival of his son. How many parents do we have here? Lots of people with kids. We've, got, we've had a new baby this, this year with Joshua and God's been teaching me a lot about being a parent. And when you're a parent, we've got Romy and Joshua, you want to give the best gifts, the best things to your, your sons and daughters. Don't you? you want to look after them. You want them to, to go well. And it's your joy to give them gifts. And I think that heart comes from God as well because we see that he prepared things for his son's arrival. So let's visit Jesus, Israel, sorry, in Jesus' time. I'm going to put a, a map up here and I'm going to go to Luke chapter 2 as well. What we've got here is a map of Israel in Jesus' time. And, and what I want you guys to, to see is that there are real spaces and real times here. And so if you see up the top, we've got the Sea of Galilee and that area was Galilee and that was the area uh, where Nazareth was where uh, Mary and Joseph lived around that area and we see Jesus growing up around the Sea of Galilee when he was a bit older and, um, but we see that they're from up there and what we're going to pick up the story here in Luke 2 is where they had to do a journey they had to embark on a journey and we see down here Jerusalem which is really the, the centre of worship the center, religious centre of Jewish life in Jerusalem where the temple is. And just below Jerusalem we have Bethlehem. Bethlehem, the place that was foretold where Jesus was going to be born. And how did God work so that these prophecies would be fulfilled? God moves world events so that his word becomes true. All of these things didn't happen as, as an accident. So we take the reading in Luke 2 verse 1 it says in those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria and everyone went to his own town to register so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem the the town of David because he belonged to the house and line of David so there we see that he belonged to the house and line of David and the Messiah was going to come from the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for, a ba- for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for him in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace on, on earth peace to men on whom his favour rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this 
thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured all of these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Here we see the next snapshot in this amazing scene of Jesus' birth. And if we look at this passage and the one that we read in Matthew, uh, particularly there, we see how Jesus entered into a, a social scandal. These are really familiar words for us. At Christmas we read these. In our devotional times we read these. But often we skim over that, that socially Jesus was born out of wedlock. You go, oh, okay. It's a bit strange. But in Jewish custom, um, Mary and Joseph were engaged. There was, there was a part of the Jewish culture was that there was a, an agreement made uh, where, for engagement where the, a young Jewish guy would be um, make an agreement with the father of the, the bride to be and uh, for him to be his wife. And he had to go and make a new room. He, he would go and build. And, and we see lots of spiritual parallels there when Jesus says, I will go on and I'll build I'll play, make a place for you. And, and that was part of Jewish culture that, that the young guy would go and he would have to build a place for he and his wife to live in. And then he'd come back for her. And so Jesus will come back for us. And so we see the, these snapshots in the Bible when we, we get into the Jewish culture. And G, uh, Joseph came back here, as we see in Matthew one uh, twenty. And it says, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And so we see there that Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant and he went, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. I didn't do it. How could this be? The woman of your dreams, your fiancé, the woman that you're you're building a, a place to have with your family is pregnant. How could this be? And I think that Joseph must have gone, what happened, Lord? I've followed you. You've given me this this lovely woman or girl before me and she's pregnant? And then an angel appeared to him and said, don't be afraid to take her as your wife. And so that meant that he had to live with the stigma of all the people around they didn't believe, saying, your, your wife was pregnant and it wasn't you. What happened there? What happened there? And also that Mary, if she was found to be pregnant out of wedlock, the penalty under the law was death by stoning. So when Joseph obeyed God here in, at his word through the angel, Joseph saved Mary's life. He didn't accuse her of this crime under the law, but he released her from that. And he didn't just release her. That was where, where he thought, oh, well, I'll just divorce her quietly and not accuse her before the, the Jewish officials. 
but he actually embraced her and brought her close. And this is all part of God's plan to bring his son into the world, to give him a family, as we've been talking about family, and giving Jesus earthly parents that could look after him, that could educate him, that, that could be there for him as he grew up, as he took this um, posture of a servant. So have you ever thought about what it meant for Jesus to take on flesh? So he's come into this cultural stigma, being thought of as an outcast, as not making the Jewish grade of being number one, of having everything right in his life. But the creator God coming into this chaos, being part of his creation, as Garth talked about, in order to reveal himself to us and save us from our sinful rebellion. If we go quickly to Philippians 2, I just want to meditate briefly on this verse. Philippians 2, verse 5. And we see how God humbled himself in Jesus. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And then we see, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we see two pictures there, one of the humbling and one of the exalting. And in this Christmas story we see the humbling of God in Jesus coming to earth, being part of the creation. He was in very nature God but he didn't hold on to that, that status, that place, that position of honour. But he humbled himself. He made himself nothing. Imagine the humility of Jesus as he, as God, was omnipresent. He was everywhere at the same time. Omnipotent, all-powerful, could do anything. Omniscient, all-knowing. And then not, not exercising these attributes. Imagine him having multitudes of angels in heaven, adoring him, attending his every need. Well, not that he had needs, but adoring him and being around his throne, lifting up his name, singing holy, holy, holy like we, we sing. And then imagine him coming to earth and becoming nothing with nobody recognising his glory. Many people ignoring his identity as the son of God being trampled upon, being ignored, having all of these amazing attributes of being God limited because of his love for us, for me and for you. He became completely human. And as Garth was saying, he he became human in a baby so that his creation looked after him. What an amazing contrast of the humility of God And as we examine the scriptural story of Christ, we see God the Father putting into action events and circumstances for the arrival of his only son, Jesus. What a wonderful picture of God's love for us 
and for his son as he prepares the scene, as he moved this decree for a census so that Jesus, in the, the tummy of his, his mum, Mary, they would go down there and he would have a humble birth. If we look closely, we can see that God the Father was giving Jesus several important gifts as he arrived on earth. So I'd like to zone in this morning on four important gifts that God the Father gave to Jesus at the time of his birth and just after that set the scene for his life on earth and then his death on the cross, his saving work. The first of these gifts was the gift of obedient parents. In Matthew 1, 24 and 25, we see how Joseph and Mary were obedient. In Matthew 1, 24, it says, When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. First step of obedience. He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. God speaking through his angel, just said, Okay, I'll do it. And then it says, But he had no union until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. They'd been instructed to give him the name Jesus. In Jewish culture, he would have had another name. He would have had the name of his, his, his grandfather probably, but they gave him the name Jesus. So they're stepping out of cultural lines and being obedient to God. And how important it is for us to step out of cultural lines and be obedient to God. Even things that, that we think are, are good and right, many times God calls us to go back to his word and say, obey me, obey me, walk in faith. Even when everything is against, the odds are against you, walk in faith and be obedient to me. And in Luke 1.38, we see that Mary was also obedient. In Luke 1.38 says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. So after receiving the instructions from the angel of the Lord, said, okay, I'll do it. I'm young, I'm scared. All of these things are too amazing for me to, to even imagine. But you've said it and I'm ready. I'm willing to be used by you. So Joseph and Mary... God prepared them as people, as people that believed in God, that walked with him, to be obedient parents for Jesus. And parents, here I asked you to lift up your hands a little while ago, one of the most valuable gifts that you can give your children, not just at Christmas, is living a life of obedient dependence on God and modelling to them the character of Jesus. We can buy stuff for our kids. We can send them to the best schools. But the best gift we can give them is an example of following Jesus. Is when we've got those times of crisis in a family, is getting on our knees and praying and teaching them to do the same. When stuff doesn't go well at school, we pray, we ask God, we look to his word. And when God's word says something, we do it. And that's part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. He says to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. And when we as parents do that and teach our kids, they see that 
when things aren't going well financially at home, that mum and dad start praying. They start to look at God's word and say, okay, what's God's take on this? How do we do this? And they see your, your dependence on God and see your faith in Jesus Christ. And that's a great gift that you can give your kids. So, God gave Jesus obedient parents. He also gave Jesus a name above all names. As I said, Jesus would have had another name in Jewish culture, but the angel of the Lord said that his name would be Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. A name that had meaning. A name that came straight from God. A name that gave him an identity and a purpose to save. We see in Matthew one twenty one that they gave him that name because he will save their people from their sins. The Jewish people were waiting and looking for the Messiah. And Jesus in his name contained the message as well. Jesus saves. The Lord saves. Jesus was God's rescue package for us. He was God revealed to us. We see in John 1, if we go quickly to John 1, And verse 17 and 18. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Jesus made God known. Jesus revealed to us what God's like. And his name contained that identity of being God, saying, The Lord saves, here is my salvation. What's in a name? You know, when, when you hear someone's name, when, when you hear Michael Jackson, you get an impression of, of who that person is. When you hear the names of stars and that sort of thing, you think of, of different aspects of what they're like. When we hear the name of Jesus, what do we think about? God saves. The Lord saves. And in his name was the, the message that God came to save. Number three, a humble birthplace. Jesus came into the world not in the biggest palace, not with a a little chauffeur in a big BMW car. He came in a humble birthplace. If we go to Luke chapter 2, we see how God arranged for Jesus to be born in humble circumstances. It says, while they were there, time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there's no room for them in the inn. I was reading up on, a, on this a little bit. Sometimes in the, in the Christmas story, we tend to think that Joseph and Mary arrived in Bethlehem and, and they were looking around and couldn't find where to put Jesus and they couldn't find any spots. But it says, while they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for her baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn son. And so it was most likely that there were some guest houses but there was no room for her to have the baby because there were so many people there and so they had to lay him in a manger. They had to lay Jesus in a space that wasn't the priority, wasn't the the guest room, wasn't the, the right place but in a manger with the animals. 
And so Jesus was given a humble birthplace. Why didn't he, he why wasn't Jesus born in a in an earthly palace, in a royal palace? I think God wanted to show us that that he was reaching right into our situation, to our most difficult circumstances. And if we go to Hebrews a bit further on in the Bible, chapter five, verse eight. We find something really interesting in this verse. <coughs> Hebrews 5.8 says, Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he came to the source of eternal salvation. He became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. He was designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Jesus' life was marked by suffering. It wasn't just on the, cru- on the cross that he suffered. Jesus arrived in humble circumstances. He suffered, we see in Psalm 69, we see in Isaiah 53, that he was a man of sufferings. He was accustomed to... It's coming to me in Spanish. <laughs> he was cu- accustomed with the suffering to um, people making fun of him, to the, um, the, the, the jokes and the, and the things that people would do to make him feel bad because of his identity as the son of God, because of his situation in, uh, in the family situation. And so... God formed the character of Jesus and that's just something that blows my mind. It says he learned obedience because of what he suffered. And so I think God was giving Jesus as a baby an example of how he wanted him to be humble. That Jesus, although he was completely God, he was also completely human. So he had to learn obedience there in the manger, being humble and not having people serve him but serving others. Because he said, Jesus, in his, his life, he said, I've not come to be served, but to serve. And so from that humbling at the start of his life, he started to learn that. And so he was acquainted, accustomed to suffering and humility throughout his life. And that gives us hope. Because our Saviour isn't foreign isn't apart from our suffering and the difficult things that we can go through. He understands. He's been through it. He's been humble. And God lifted him up. And the fourth gift that God gave was provision. We see this in Matthew 2, verses 9 to 11. Just along from our main passage that we saw this morning. This talks about the, the visit of the Magi, of the, of the wise men. <clears throat> it says, After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, of incense, and of myrrh. 
And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. It's interesting to note here that the wise men or the magi brought gifts for Jesus. We see him now in a house and we see him there um, as a child. So we, we can see that it probably wasn't in the manger like we, we put it in, in all the nativity scenes and all that sort of thing. But they arrived a little bit later on and Jesus was now maybe a toddler, maybe a, a little guy. Um, we see that Herod killed all the kids under two years old. So he could have been up to two years old because I don't think Herod was going to get things wrong. He kind of wanted a bit of room for error so that, that he was trying to exterminate any threat to his authority. But these wise men arrived probably in most likely not, not Jewish people, not people that, that really knew God or had a tradition of these things. It says they came from the east. We don't know what country exactly. Maybe from Egypt. They were reading the stars. They saw the star announcing the birth of a saviour and they wanted to be in on it. So they came with gifts worthy of a king. Gold. It talks about Jesus' royalty. They see, we see the frankincense that talks about his priesthood and worship. We see frankincense in the Old Testament um, with Aaron the priest. But it's a representative of Jesus being our high priest, the one who can go into God's presence, who offers sacrifice for us and makes us clean. And the worship that, we, that he gave to God. And myrrh, a burial spice, which was a reminder from this first day that Jesus was born to die in our place. A sour spice. Something difficult and hard that Jesus was going to do. But the other side of these gifts, apart from being deeply symbolic, was that they were valuable gifts. Gifts worthy of a king with monetary value. And we see that when Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph were poor people. We see under Jewish law that they they should have given, uh, if they were able to, they would have given a larger offering when Jesus was circumcised, but they gave the offering for poor people. So we see that they had financial difficulty. But in these gifts, we see how God provided for his son, for his son's family as well, and that we can trust in God's provision for us. Shortly after this time, Mary and Joseph or Joseph was instructed by another angel that they should go to Egypt because Jesus' life was in in danger. And so how did they fund a journey to Egypt, living over there and all that sort of thing? I'm not sure, the Bible doesn't say. But possibly these gifts that God gave his son through the wise men were useful in that time in Egypt for the education of Jesus, for his family, for his basic needs. God provides for his children. Jesus was also blessed with the gift of a star, an angelic announcement, a God-exalting heavenly host. There are so many gifts that we can see if we look closely in these passages. And we can see how God loved Jesus and he loves us. Our God's a gift-giving God and he's shown his mercy to us, not treating us as our sins deserve, but he's also lavished upon us his grace, giving us forgiveness, blessing and a favour that we don't deserve. God shows us his gift-giving nature in the birth of Jesus. And God loves to show his generosity to us in giving us good gifts.
But what about the humble birth and the suffering throughout Jesus' life? What sort of gift is that? Well, I think if God formed and worked on the character of Jesus as he grew up as a baby, as a young guy, as a teenager, and then using him in ministry, and Jesus was without sin, how much more will God work on my character and your character and obedience through giving us the gift of suffering? Sometimes at Christmas, everything isn't joyous. Everything isn't as it should be. Sometimes at Christmas, we go through difficult times where we remember loved ones who are not with us anymore. And God sometimes gives us desert times, times of suffering and difficulty, not just at Christmas, but in any time, to form an obedient and dependent character in us. God's sanctifying work is in us is to make us moment by moment more like Jesus. It's hard to learn patience when you get everything you want immediately. It's hard to grow in love and forgiveness when everyone treats you right and kind all the time. It's hard to grow in faith when everything goes to your plan. God needs to permit circumstances in our lives that stretch us and help us to realise that we are not in control. We're so quick to forget that our greatest and most permanent need is Jesus. And so God was showing us in Jesus how he wanted to form the character of Jesus as the saviour of the world, being his only son, being God. How much more is he going to work in us? And as we wrap up, I just want to redefine this idea of blessing. So sometimes we go, I'm so blessed. And we think about material prosperity, about everything being fine. I've got a new car, I'm really blessed. But when we look at blessing in the Bible, it's more about welfare, happiness, well-being, or to be strengthened. So we can see that sufferings are also blessings in our lives because they lead us to depend on God. Because our well-being really depends on God. So a blessing is something received from God that increases our well-being. In spiritual terms, that increases our faith, that draws us closer to him, that increases our dependence on him, or that enables us to glorify and serve Christ more. So we've all been blessed with so many gifts and so many good things at Christmas. But sometimes we go through hard times and that's also a blessing because that takes us closer to the heart of God. And so, God blessed his son Jesus, taking care of him, guiding him and forming his character as the saviour of the world. How incredible is that? And he wants to bless and give us good gifts as well. Have you counted your blessings? Have you thought about the gifts that God has given you in your life? Not just now, but through your life. Where were you born? In what circumstances were you born? God knew that day. He planned it for the creation of the world. Where did you grow up? God knew about that. God knew about the difficult things in your life that form the person you are today. He even knows about the scars that we carry. And God knows your story and my story. And he loves us. And he wants to give us good things in Christ. He wants us to depend on him. And as Christ said, I do only what the Father tells me. The Father and I are one. He wants you and I to be one with him. He wants to give us the gift of life, of eternal life in Jesus Christ. And so if you're here today and you haven't ever received this gift from a loving Heavenly Father, I invite you today, open your hands, surrender your life and receive the gift of salvation. 
the gift of Jesus from a loving God. He sent Jesus Christ to take your place and your punishment, my place and my punishment. He entered into our chaos and a sinful world because he loves you. Today you can receive that gift and you receive that gift by believing, by faith. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave that gift, gave his only son so that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. For God didn't come into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Receive the gift at this Christmas. God wants to give you that gift of new life, of a hope, of salvation. And if you've accepted that invitation, if you're walking with Christ, receive the gift of God once again saying, wow, how amazing is it that God gave gift to his only son and he wants to give me good gifts in my life. Recognise that God's given you good gifts even in the middle of suffering, even in the middle of hard times. And the Bible calls us to be thankful and to cultivate a heart that is satisfied in God. How are the sufferings in your life forming the character of Jesus in you? Could it be that the difficult desert time that you're passing through is God calling you to depend on him? To have your faith, your life, your trust deposited in him? Could it be that we need to redefine our concept of what a blessing is and realise that instead of complaining about our troubles and afflictions, we should thank God for them and pray through them? So as we approach Christmas time, I invite you to reflect on the generous gift gift-giving nature of God, of how he gave good gifts to Jesus and how he wants to give good gifts to us. And he was prepared to give his one and only son, Jesus, to bring us close to him and restore our relationship with him. He did it all, satisfying his justice to give us peace, love, joy, hope and eternal life. And as we prepare for Christmas, may we reflect on the character of God, being generous gift givers that bless others, It's not all about me. I can open my arms and give. And that reflects the character of God. Not only material things, but in love, demonstrating the character and priority of Christ to others as we set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. So the challenge I'd like to leave you with this morning is to trust God, to find your joy in God and cling on to God in spite of what trials we may face this Christmas knowing that Jesus Christ, the saviour of the world, came into our broken world to bring us hope. The greatest gift this Christmas is and has always been Jesus Christ our Lord. I'd invite you to take a moment and and reflect on those gifts that God's given you. I want to close in prayer and as we go out, we can go out with a a thankful heart for what God has given us and a thankful heart for the greatest gift of all this Christmas, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for loving us, for saving us, for redeeming us because we deserved death, eternal death, to be separated from you. But in Jesus, you have brought us close. Thank you for giving us a saviour and thank you for sending Jesus in humble circumstances with obedient parents with a name above all names 
Thank you for providing for him so that he could be the saviour of the world. Thank you for sending your son away to this earth, away from his glory, honour and praise, to be humbled and be part of our existence. Thank you for showing yourself in him how much we can understand you because of who Jesus is. And know you, Lord, that you are a God that comes close to us. And Lord, I pray this morning for those that need you to come close to them this Christmas. Thank you for being a gift-giving God, a generous God, that you haven't just given us your mercy, but you've lavished upon us your grace, giving us new life, giving us forgiveness, not counting our sins against us, Lord. And I pray that this morning that we may have a fresh vision of your love for us and that that may overflow with thankfulness in our lives and generosity toward others so that they may see Jesus in us and give you the glory, the honour and the praise. Thank you, Lord. We give you the praise and the honour and the glory this morning because of who you are. In the name of Jesus, we come before you. Amen.